Our text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll be reading chapter chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father, who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, When I was younger... I almost broke into a Beatles song right there. Some of you may know what that one is. Um, strange. Um, when I was younger, uh, probably pre-teen years, uh, every year my family would uh, take a trip to visit relatives in Minnesota. Uh, my mother was, was born and, and raised most of her life in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and so she had family there, still has family there, and we'd go once, sometimes twice a year to go visit family. And, and really, for me, as, as a young man, it was a very highlight of my summer. Um, I lived in Colorado, and Colorado doesn't have much water, in case you don't know if you've ever been to Colorado. I mean, there's rivers, it's great, but there's not much standing water, no, no lakes, and the lakes are cold, so you don't really swim in them and enjoy them. So I really loved going to Minnesota because my aunt and uncle had a cabin on a lake um, where we got to go and hang out, and they had like 50 years worth of Archie comics I could read, and a boat where I could go water skiing and generally just be lazy, which is something that I enjoyed doing as a young man and still enjoy doing sometimes now. Um, Another thing that we often did uh, when we went to Minnesota is my uncle would take um, all of the nephews on on a fishing trip every year. Uh, so, so we would kind of all gather at, at his house in the Twin Cities, and we'd drive somewhere, usually up north to the Boundary Waters. Um, we'd kind of get off-grid uh, before being off-grid was cool. Um, we'd go, we'd, we'd fish for a week, uh, we'd do, um, well, I was a preteen, so we'd do gross guy stuff, um, preteen boy stuff, um, and, and really just had a good time. And, and, and my uncle, um, I was the youngest, and so I think he tried to keep me busy oftentimes because I was the youngest. Um, and so I, I remember occasionally he would, like, set us about tasks to do. He'd give us a challenge, right? It might be catching fish, you know, winner gets most fish, biggest fish, something like that. But one time he set me a challenge to, to do this, to, to make a candle lantern out of a pop can. Now, there were two stipulations to this. One... Well, it had to, like, shine, it had to be a lantern, and it had to be somewhat weatherproof, okay? So, just think about this, a, you know, a Coke can, and make some sort of candle lantern. And, and so this put my preteen engineering brain into overdrive, and I went, and I came up with a bunch of iterations. And, and so finally, I settled on, I've tried to recreate it, it may not be an exact replica, but I came up with something a little like this. So... Here's the bottom of the can, and to weatherproof it, you'd put the top on, and it would be weatherproof. Now, I know some of you may want to go out and patent this design, and some of you are kind of looking at the design flaws, and you can point them out, just do so later, okay? We'll have time in the service for that. But fundamentally, 
when you're out in nature, out in the woods, out when there's no sort of mechanical lighting available, light is very important. Right? I, I would say, apart from food, water, light is probably the most important thing you can have if you are lost or stuck in the woods. Light is something that obviously we take for granted until there's a power outage, right? There's a power outage, we just don't know what to do with ourselves, right? What do we do at night, right? The sun goes down, how are we to make light, right? Light is very, very important in our world. It's very, very important in the ancient world. Light is absolutely necessary to life. Like our, our, our lives evolve, I mean, evolve, revolve, that's the word I'm looking for, around light, we don't like to wake up before the sun. You often hear complaints about having to go to work before the sun rises. Of course, here in Washington, we get surprised when we come to work and the sun is shining. <laughs> but our, our lives revolve around light, right? When, when it gets dark at night, we tend to slow down. Even with mechanical light, we slow down. It's time for bed. Our bodies are attuned to light, right? We know that if we keep a screen in front of us right until bedtime, that blue light is not good because it doesn't trigger our minds to say, oh wait, dark means sleep. Turn off circadian rhythm, rest, wonderful things. Light is important to who we are. Now let's set that in a box for a second. So, so here we are, right? This is day number two in our kind of series walking through the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember last week, we went through the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. We actually heard a Beatitude, I hope you noticed, in our call to worship this morning. Now, the translation we generally use kind of obscures the fact, but if you were to read it in any other translation, it would be, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the seat, way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. It's a Beatitude. Last week, Jesus gave us these beatitudes and talked about uh, the people who are blessed in the kingdom of God. And, and what is strange about, about what Jesus said there in verses 1 through 12 uh, of Matthew chapter 5 is that the people he calls blessed are not the people we call blessed, right? Not to re-preach the sermon from last week. It's on YouTube and on our website. You can go see it if you want. But the kingdom of God looks a little different than the kingdom of the world. It operates on a different scale. It operates on a different way of being blessed, way of living. It, it includes people who we may not say are blessed in the traditional sense. It's not about the wealthy or the most powerful or the most influential. What it's about, it's about the poor, the, the mourning, the meek, the mild, right? The, the, those people who we don't generally lift up in our society as blessed. Jesus describes what, what we and what I call the upside-down kingdom. A, a kingdom that looks weird, when looking at it, it's different from the power structures of our world. It's a strange kingdom, and in that strange kingdom are strange people, right? Because it, it, it's a kingdom where those who mourn are blessed and the meek inherit the earth. And, and so what we have today is sort of a response. As, as Jesus kind of moves out of the Beatitudes and, and into this passage of Scripture, Jesus begins to talk about the fact that the people of the kingdom of God have a certain flavor to them. Right? He, he, he begins to declare, coming out of this, this strange description of those who are blessed, he, he addresses those in front of him, the disciples, and, and sort of by extension the crowds who are gathered around, and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. Now, in our day and age, salt is kind of a bad word. 
If you have high blood pressure, what are you told? Salt bad, right? But throughout history, salt is a universally good thing. Salt is great. Salt, salt gives flavor to that which is bland. You never say, right, pass the sugar at the table. You say, pass the salt. Because salt even makes sugary things taste better. You notice when there's no salt in cookies. Why is that? It may not taste the salt, but it's not the same without it. Salt is a universally good thing and has been considered that throughout history. In fact, salt was very, very valuable. So valuable, in fact, that we get an English word that we all appreciate from salt. And I've preached this before, so some of you know it. But our word salary comes from the Latin word for salt, sal. Because in the ancient world, in the time of Jesus, in the time of Rome, sometimes as part of their stipend of what it meant to serve in the Roman army, they were given a portion of salt, their salary. Salt was a good and a valuable thing. We like salt. We like when our food has flavor. And so Jesus tells the disciples and tells those who are gathered around, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you can go read, I, I have books in my office, you could read pages upon pages about what that means to be salt of the earth. And you may have your opinions, I have my opinions on that, but what I think we can reduce this to is knowing that the people of God ought to be good for the earth. It ought to be something that adds flavor, something that is good, something that people love and receive and that is good for the world around them. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Maybe the people of God give flavor. Or maybe the, the people of God are what, what allows people to taste the flavor of the kingdom when they interact with them. Maybe Jesus means that the people of God are a preservative for the world around them. I don't know. But we can probably all agree that salt is good and that to be the salt of the earth as the people of God is a good thing. For the world, because Jesus then goes on to say, right, salt that loses saltiness is silly. What happens when salt loses its saltiness? Well, it becomes not salt, right? Nobody has ever tasted a powdery white substance that didn't taste like salt and say, mm, that's flavorless salt. It doesn't make sense to have flavorless salt. It doesn't make sense to have salt that is unsalty. In fact, Jesus says, unsalty salt is, and he uses a word that we get the word moron from. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense. It, it almost is as if to say that unsalty salt is impossible. For if it's unsalty, it is no longer salt. It has either become so diluted, it has become so whatever mixed with something else, that it is no longer good for anything, Jesus says, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. My read of that is if it doesn't taste like the kingdom, it's not the kingdom, no matter what you call it. If it doesn't taste like Jesus, it's not Jesus or of Jesus, no matter what you call it. It is possible to dilute salt enough, if I were to put a tablespoon of salt in that baptismal and stir it around, likely were you to be foolish enough to drink that water, it would not taste like salt. 
So perhaps what Jesus is saying to, to his people, to his disciples, is if we so incorporate everything else around us, the, 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 the influences of the world or the powers of the world or, the, or working as, as the, the world works rather than as Jesus works, we can become so deluded as the people of God that we no longer taste like the kingdom, and that's foolish. I would almost say that if we don't look like the kingdom, we're not of the kingdom. It's not meant to be a warning. It's not meant to scare us. It's just meant to say the people of God ought to taste like the people of God. If an encounter with the people of God does not leave someone with at least some inkling of difference or of the kingdom, whether they recognize it or not, we have to ask ourselves, are we of the kingdom? Because unsalty salt is foolish. Unsalty salt, well... It's not salt. People who do not look like the kingdom of God aren't the kingdom of God. You are the salt of the earth. And unsalty salt is worthless as salt. It may be good pavement. I don't know. It it, it may be good coloring for something. But unsalty salt, well, it ain't salt, as it were. Salt is good. But if it doesn't taste like salt, danger. Jesus then takes this metaphor and and goes to another. You are the light of the world, he says. Now we can agree that pretty much universally light is good. Again, most of us don't walk around in utter darkness and say, I wish it could be a little darker in here. Most of us don't tell a story of how we woke up in the middle of the night and stubbed our toe and say, man, if I'd just had a little more darkness, I could have navigated my room better. We say, light is good. It's good to have light because without light, we cannot see. It is impossible to see. It is impossible to do anything without light. And when there's absolutely no light, well, things can't grow. We can't live. We won't see. Nothing would happen. Light is good. And Jesus goes as far as telling his disciples, telling the crowds that that they are the light of the world. They are that which illuminates the world. Now, this is a crazy, crazy statement that Jesus makes. Wait, isn't Jesus the light of the world? The light shining in the darkness and the darkness and not in the covenant? But, But Jesus tells the people of God, his disciples, those who would follow and be a part of God's kingdom, that they give light to the world. That they are the light of the world. And that as such, it's impossible to hide. He says you can't hide a city on a hill. Again, imagine you're walking through the deserts of of Judea and you look up on a hill and you see Jerusalem on top of that hill and you say, there's Jerusalem. There's no way to hide that city when there's a light on. No way. Everything around you is dark. There's no street lamps. There it is. It cannot be hidden. Because light's purpose is what? To illuminate, to show, to shine. And so Jesus says, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Now, he's not saying nobody lights a lamp and then kind of angles the light so it doesn't shine elsewhere. But he says, no one lights a lamp and then covers it up. Because to cover a lamp would be to plunge back in darkness. And what's the point of the light? 
Let's go back to my uh, example here. Some of you may have figured this one out. Okay, Regan, will you hit the lights? All right. At first glance, this lantern works, right? Do you remember the, the stipulation my uncle gave me? It has to be weatherproof. And so my ingenious weatherproofing would be this. Now, I didn't put it on fully, but if I were, what would happen? The light would go out. Even now, it's not shining. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. I have lit a light, and then I have smothered the very purpose for which one lights the light. That is light. This light isn't helping anybody. I could not read by this light. It won't show anything around me. This is a foolish invention that I have made. Now, I know some, probably most of you spotted that from the get-go. But it's a light that doesn't serve a light's purpose. Much like unsalty salt, it is foolish. Just as we would call someone foolish who turned on the lights in your house and then immediately unscrewed the light bulbs. I know they could be there if I were to screw them in. Or turning on a lamp to read by and then putting a sheet over it and not being under the sheet with it, and not being able to read by it. It is foolish. It is unthinkable. It, is, it is, defies the purpose of light. All right, Regan, if you'll put those back, back on. All right, so we'll keep that there. The purpose of light is to shine. The purpose of light is to illuminate. My ingenious contraption may have protected it from wind, but if it doesn't give light, it's pointless. It's foolish. So this is the candle lantern my uncle showed me. This is actually pretty ingenious if you look at it. It's windproof. You can close it and open it. Rain won't get on it. And yet, when you light it, All right, let's get those lights again. It gives light. Now, a whole lot? No, not really. But if you're in a small area, there is comfort in even that little light. It gives light to all who are around. At the very least, you can see this light, whereas this one... You can't really even see the light. Lights again, thank you. This is foolish. This is a light serving its purpose. The candle was not created to be put inside a can where no one could see it. The candle was made so that it would give light. This particular candle at a Christmas Eve service, just out of curiosity if you wanted to know. So so what's Jesus saying here? One of the things I think is important to note about this passage of Scripture that I love and that is exciting is Jesus does not say, go and make yourself salty. Jesus doesn't go and say, make yourself shiny. What does Jesus say? You are the light of the world. You are 
the salt of the earth. This is something that the people of God, by their very nature, by the nature of the God who calls them, by the nature of the spirit that fills them, are light, are salt, are good for the world around them. We could spend hours listing the ways in which the people of God can and have been salty and shiny. Orphanages started. People fed. People put in housing. All sorts of things that that we could point to that says, this is what the church has done because they are, by their very nature, called by God and inhabit the character of God. They've done these things because, not because it benefits them, not because it makes them feel real great necessarily, but because God has called them and created them to be salt and light in the world. They are the people of God who bear the taste and the look, the light of the kingdom of God because the people of God reflect the kingdom of God. The people of God reflect the character of the God who calls them. And you will always know, as Jesus says, the people of God by their fruit, by how they taste, by how they shine. Salt and light. So, so Jesus doesn't say, just, you know, be more salty and be more lighty. Be more salty and be more shiny. That is not what's going on here. Nor does he say, make yourself salty. If a salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty again? Well, it can't. He's saying, be who you are. Be who you have already been created to be. Because you are called, because for us of the baptism you have received, because of all of this, you are salt, you are light, you reflect and you flavor the kingdom. Be who you are. Also what Jesus is saying, and I think when it comes to salt, is do not be so deluded that there is no distinction between the taste that you give off and the taste of everything else around you. What we can do is not be more salty. What we can do is dilute the flavor of Christ and the flavor of the kingdom of God within us. When we do lots of things that that, that sort of look like the world around us. When our opinions and our feelings are formed more by what we watch and what we read and what we listen to than by the character of God, we have diluted our saltiness. And people very well may not be able to pick up the flavor of the kingdom. Why? Because the people of God taste like the kingdom of God. Same with light. We ought to be visible And we are because we have been called in Christ, right? You are. It doesn't say light your light. It doesn't say make sure your match is lit. It says don't cover what you are. Go back to the Beatitudes. We are a strange people. Throughout scripture, we are called a peculiar people. The people of God throughout history have been a strange and peculiar people. Right? When the people of Israel went into the promised land... The people around them worshipped all sorts of other gods. And, and, and the people of Israel said, no, we worship this God, a God who is not bound by this land, a, a God who is, who is over all and in all, 
the God who is above all gods, you might recognize that language. They did things like not eat pork. Right? The people around them, well, it's food. It's good to eat. People, God said, no, we don't do that. Again, we could go into why God asked them to do that. There are probably reasons. But they were peculiar. They looked strange. When the rest of the world says seven days we will work and we will labor because production is good and we want to make all we can and spend all we can because acquisition is great. God told his people, take the seventh day off. Don't do any work. If you ever go to somewhere where there's a large kind of Jewish population or have the wonder to be able to visit Israel, Friday afternoons are strange. Because we're like Friday afternoon, right? Weekend, right? Let's go out to eat. Let's, let's go to a movie. Let's celebrate. When I went to Israel, it was Friday afternoon and I was bored. And so I went for a walk. I was like, I just want to buy a Coke. And there was nothing open. It was strange because the people of God and the kingdom of God is peculiar. And part of what Jesus is saying is, don't hide that. Don't hide who you are. Don't hide the love that God has poured out in you and through you. Don't make excuses for it. Because to do that is just to cover the light that God has given. You are a peculiar people, and that's okay. In fact, that is blessing. That is good. That is grace. Don't hide it. God didn't light you on fire so you could put a basket over yourself. God lit you so that you could burn and show Last thing to note about salt and light. Neither of them are really good in and of themselves. And and here's what I mean by that. Nobody sits down to a bowl of salt and begins to eat. It's almost universally like, it's just gross. If you take a tablespoon of salt and eat it, it's gross. Have you ever had cookies where someone mistook salt and sugar? Either intentionally or as a prank? It's gross. Right? The right amount of seasoning is great. Salt by itself, not really good. It's meant to bring flavor to something else. Point to something else. Some people put salt on their watermelon, not because salty watermelon's good, but because it brings out the sweetness of the watermelon. Right? I never knew how watermelon, watermelon, watermelon could be until I put salt on it. It brings out the flavor of what it is. And, and light, right? If Regan were to turn on the spots right in my eyes, that's a wonderful amount of light for you, perhaps, but for me, I couldn't see anything. Right? Light in and of itself, if you stare at the sun, don't stare at the sun, by the way, but if you were to, it would be bad, and you wouldn't be able to see anything. Light, what it does, is it points to something else. It illuminates. You see me because there is light, and the light hits your eyes and reflects, and it's all that wonderful stuff, Right? Light is intended to shine, to bring attention to something else. You see the light on the hill and you know it's a city. You don't go, hey, that's a light on a hill. The the mariner sees the lighthouse and does not say, hmm, that's a wonderful light there in the sky. They say, oh, that's land, danger. I need to be careful. Neither of these things exist for themselves. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Therefore, his conclusion is, let your light shine so that all people might see your good deeds, the deeds of the kingdom, 
and praise your Father who is in heaven. We are salty so that people taste the kingdom, taste the character of God in us and say, that's good. We are light so that people see the character of the God and the kingdom of which we are part and say, that is good. Be salt. Don't dilute your saltiness so that people can flavor the kingdom and taste the kingdom at work in you and in the world around them. Be light. Don't hide it so that the world can see by what you do and who you are, the God whom you serve, and go, hey, that's good. I fear there are times, and it seems like sometimes in our world, where it's the exact opposite. The people taste us and see us, and they go, ooh, that God's not very nice or kind. That's not because we are bad light or bad salt, because God has created us as light and salt, and that is good. But perhaps because we have covered or diluted the character of God that is in us. Our works, who we are and what we do, ought to point to the kingdom of God and the God and particularly the Savior at work there. For you are salt and you are light. And so we can be happy because we don't have to conjure these things. We don't have to work hard to be light. We are light. We don't have to work hard to be salt. We are salt. We simply have to listen, obey, and follow the king who calls us so that people can taste and see the kingdom and the God at work in that kingdom. We can also say that we don't have to wonder what light looks like. For elsewhere, Jesus is described as the light of the world. So if Jesus is the light of the world, then we are part of Jesus, and we are the light of the world, then then what does it mean to be light? Well, it looks like Jesus. The whole reason we're going to the Sermon on the Mount, because we believe that the people of God ought to look like the Savior whom we say saves us. We ought to look like Jesus. And so we have an example to follow. We don't necessarily have to ask, how then should we live? Because Jesus said, this then is how you should live. And we'll get a bunch of that in the rest of the sermon, by the way. But we have an example. And our job is not to innovate what it means to be light. Our job is not to come up with a new salt. The best salt, the saltiest salt. Our job is to be who we have already been called to be. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And so we can, with confidence, hear the words of Christ to let our light shine, to be who we are created and called to be so that the world around us may taste and see the kingdom of God in us and through us, that they might give thanks to the God who does all these things and who is there for them as well. So don't dilute, don't hide, but shine and be who you are created to be. The worship team would come back up. One of the interesting things that that I read occasionally in the Old Testament and that I was reminded of in the last couple of weeks is is I brought up Elisha a couple times. When 
when Elisha and the armies of Aram, which was the better enemies of Israel, when they were kind of pitched against each other, when, when, when Aram came in and, visit, and invaded Israel, uh, the people of Israel were justifiably scared. Because the Arameans were scary. And they had defeated Israel just about everywhere they went. One of the great things about that, that story is, is all, of all that happens, right, God kind of shows the armies of, of Aram, not just the armies of Israel, but the armies of the heavenly host, and they're scared and they run away. But the reason God says that is so that they might know that there is a prophet in Israel. And what's interesting about that is, is so that they might know that this person represents the God that they talk about. Elisha did great things, right? I mean, Elisha healed Naaman of leprosy. Elisha, you know, enabled kind of his servant in the, the armies of, of Aram to see the, the heavenly host that, that was behind the world, so to speak. Elisha said, I'm going to shine a light on the reality of this world. But Elisha didn't do so for his own sake. Right, Elisha didn't say, look at me, how cool I am. I can do this, that, and the other thing. I can make an axe head float. I can make you know, poisonous water clean. Elisha essentially said, I am doing this so that you might know that there is a prophet of God in Israel, so that you might see the work of God in your midst, so that people might not see Elijah and praise Elisha and tell everyone how wonderful Elisha was, but so that they might praise, worship, and turn to Yahweh. Our job is not to do great things and have people say what great people we are. I mean, that would be nice to be known as great people. That's not why we exist, though. We exist as the church, and we do what we do because it's who we are and because we are called to give light, to illuminate, to shine a light on the person who has called us, the God who has saved us, the one who has said, I want to restore all things to myself. The one who has said, I want to offer a new and living way in Jesus Christ so that you might be reunited and reconciled to me. Our job is to be tastes of God's reconciliation of all things. Is to be a reminder in what we do of God's reconciliation of all things. We are to be salt. To be the light that we have been created to be to not dilute who we are or to hide who we have been called to be because we're afraid of being peculiar. It's that very peculiarity. It's that very flavor that points people to the God who has called us. We are to let our light shine before all people that they might see our good deeds, the deeds of the kingdom, and praise our Father who is in heaven.